Hello, I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lotgree. And this is The Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In this two-part episode, the Harmons are visited by the former owners of the house and are given advice on Halloween decorating, while Tate is harassed by bloody teens while on a date with Violet. This is the first of the Halloween specials of American Horror Story. It's a two-parter, so this synopsis kind of applies for both episodes, and this is where shit really gets real. Um, So to kick off, we meet another couple... Of inhabitants of the murder house, previous inhabitants. So we flash back to 2010 and meet Chad and Patrick, mm. with Chad notably played by Zachary Quinto, who I love. <laughs> I don't know. That I find the context. I don't know if you like the context of this role really interesting because mm-hmm. he officially, like, publicly came out in an interview published like a week before this episode had aired. And like in the interview, he was talking about his, uh, the year before he was on Broadway in Angels in America playing a gay man. And so he was kind of talking about that and, and reference something as, you know, as a gay man. But that was kind of really the first time that he had publicly said that. So I don't know. I like there's no like connection or anything, but I I find it actually quite nice that he there was this moment, and then we get to see this episode where yeah he's playing a gay man and just like having a great time. And I don't know. I just feel really happy for him. Oh, That's absolutely! <laughs> I had no idea about the context. I knew Quinto from Heroes, which I was really into uh, while it was airing, and then which was a few years before American Horror Story started. And I love, I didn't have the context of him coming out at the time, but I love, and now revisiting it, just how much fun he's having with it. Especially because the uh, Sky, was it Skylar, right? That he played in Heroes? That yes, guy? it was. Like that role was like the opposite of the, that, this, because it was so, I don't know, it was just like very dry and, and creepy. And to just see him get to flip that on its head. And kind of like resist the typecasting of just being, you know, the crazy evil guy and everything forever is quite nice. Here he plays one half of the couple. So he plays Chad, who is very visibly unhappy in his marriage with Patrick. Um, And they're constantly arguing and he's sort of like this over the top decor obsessed guy who is just using Halloween as a reason to over decorate the house and try to sell it so again kind of this whole it's not terribly interesting but the market I guess was not in a good state and they had to sell the house to get the fuck out of there and separate I feel like this is me on Halloween as <laughs> like I feel very attacked right now because I take Halloween very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the like five minutes of the of this cold open before Chad gets murdered, he crams in so many lines into into his appearance. I love it. 
and then he kind of gets murdered by the rubber man it's very sad all that hard work gone to waste as a fan of halloween is very upsetting <laughs> and he never got to get those gourds that he was gonna turn into <laughs> organic organic hanging decorations it's yes. really tragic <laughs> I mean, this is very much kind of the campiest side of AHS, isn't it? It's kind of almost a parody of gay men. Yeah, and this is, I i mean, they noted this in the Wikipedia. It's not like a, a big revelation, but this is the first gay character on the show. Or the first two gay characters on the show. Yes. Of many, true. which is great. So then we move on to Marcy. There's one line I really enjoyed, <laughs> which is just what she said. Don't put the blame on Mame, uh, Mr. Harvard. <laughs> it's just a great, a great reference. Marcy just continues, continues to hustle, continues to try to sell the murder house. Well done, Marcy. We're with mm. you. Then, oh, this is one of, I think, one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the episode. We go next door to Constance's house and we see Travis with a shirt on. Controversial. Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is reading a book, a children's book to Addie and it's really sweet and they have a really lovely vibe and it's kind of perfectly innocent. Addie's really knowingly playing up kind of the little girl vibe to get to hang out a little bit with Travis and Constance just comes in and is just seething. I think it really shows quite an ugly side to their relationship. I find this episode really sad because I think you see just the ultimate culmination of, of it is a loving relationship. She loves her daughter, but it's so corrupted by all these all these ideas she has about womanhood and what is womanhood and what is beauty. And I guess I talked about mm. it. But I find that strand of it just really, I don't know, it just makes me really, really sad that these two women could have had a great relationship. But all this extra societal pressure just like ruined everything and they could they were never destined to get along. It's terribly sad that Constance feels threatened by her daughter. Um, in the context of kind of her and this boy toy of hers, the fact that she would feel like her daughter is trying to take him away or something. And there's another scene down the line about what Addie wants to get dressed up as. Well, she mentions it here and it kind of comes back later. Addie sort of also references that she wants to get dressed up as a pretty girl for Halloween. And later in the episode, we get this... I think quite a horrific scene between her and Constance. What what I find really horrifying about the scene is that Constance thinks that she is doing an act of charity and kindness for her daughter because her daughter said, I want to dress up as a pretty girl. And between these two scenes of her first saying that she wants to do that and the scene that we're about to talk about, uh, there is a moment where she hangs out with Violet and Violet does her makeup and, and it's like a, just a really sweet little scene mm. and Addie looks in the mirror and she's like yeah I'm really pretty I love this thank you and that's lovely and that should have been where it ended <laughs> yeah but no Constance had to come in or ruin everything and so she thinks that this is their moment of like resolution and it's like they're gonna be happy again because look 
I am going to let you be a pretty girl for Halloween. Here's a full, like, face rubber mask of a creepy sex doll face. There you go. Like, it is, like, horrific. And, yeah, and it's just so messed up because she thinks that she's doing the right thing. In that moment as well, there's this horrible exchange where Constance, you know, says that everybody thinks that she is a hero because she's taking care of Addie. So she constantly just like reverses this sense of guilt and shame onto her daughter that she thinks is some sort of kind of act of charity or goodness when actually it's just plain old psychological abuse. And I guess too, we might as well kind of skip to the end. Should we skip to the end of this particular storyline? Because like, as if if it wasn't sad enough. Then uh, Addie goes out in her in her mask, which I don't know where she got that mask. It's like it's hard to describe, but it there is something kind of like sex dollish about it. Like it's a really like odd looking mask. Yeah, it's really strange, and it's like a a female version of a Michael Myers mask. Yes, <laughs> that's what it is. Like a yeah, like I just don't know what it is, and like in what context you would buy that mask. I don't think it has, like, eye holes in it. Like, you cannot see... I don't think Addie can see through the mask, which adds this whole other dimension of, like, inhumanity. Because you can't even see through the mask into the person that's wearing yeah. it. There's just a mouth hole. And that's it. Sex mask. Which, make, which makes me think it is some kind... I don't know what shop Constance went to. But... <laughs> She did not go to the costume shop. So. No, you cannot buy that at Party City. No. Um, which I do like that the other option that Constance was like, you're going to dress up as Snoopy again. <laughs> like, why Snoopy? Such a weird alternate costume. But sorry, to get back to the very sad thing that happens after bringing up Snoopy. But yeah, the sort of, the the real kick in the teeth of this is that she puts on the mask and because there are no eye holes, she runs across the road and gets hit by a car, which, and then die, die. I don't know. She dies. It's really sad. She dies. and But there is a really important thing that happens just before she dies, is that Constance desperately tries to drag her onto the Harmon property. So onto the murder house land. And it's not explained why, but she literally grabs Addie's body from the EMTs and drags her across the street. And she seems devastated, like genuinely devastated when she dies. And we're not quite clear why she wanted her to to die in, in that particular place. Yeah, and I think like she she does love her daughter so much and that that is the really sad thing about this is that you know at the end of the day she yeah she 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 loves her daughter but she isn't able to express that love in any kind of healthy normal way and so to have this kind of three part cuz i guess it is kind of a, a three part narrative hmm. and so you see you know Constance being just cruel and then you have the second bit with the mask you see her like she's being cruel but she thinks she's showing kindness 
Yeah. And then you show her, you see her actually, what I would say, like, showing kindness because she's showing this outpouring of grief for yeah. her daughter. So it's kind of the, I don't know, the like the, the three-pronged emotions of this really fucked up relationship. And also just an absolutely stellar performance by Jessica Lange. Like, th- this is why this show works. It's because you get these amazing over-the-top characters with some real human moments that actually touch you, I think. I think this episode actually has some really beautiful writing and acting in it, not just from Jessica Lange. I feel like there, yeah, it's a really sad episode. I felt just really like down after, which is not a, the usual emotion you feel after watching an episode of American Horror Story. No, but we're going to get a bit more of that. But moving on to something a bit lighter, following Ben's storyline in this episode, Ben has a lot of sad moments as well. So we first see Larry, a fave, attempting to blackmail Ben again. And he is super pumped for Halloween, or as he says it, and I quote, it's Halloween. I do the full seven days. It's the only time I can really be myself. Again, attacked. I feel attacked <laughs> by this episode. Oh my God. <laughs> to, to be honest, when I made the note of that line, I was like, same, Larry. Same. Same. Hello, hello month. That's <laughs> the, the real thing. Hello, October. Hello, month. So Larry is trying to blackmail Ben because obviously he literally helped him bury a body. And my favorite part of the scene is that he tries to blackmail him and then Ben's like, no, like, get out of here. Never want to see you again. And then Larry is holding this plastic, one of those plastic (laughs) trick-or-treat pumpkins. (laughs) And he, like, does one of those football kicks where he he grabs the pumpkin, this is Ben, then grabs the pumpkin, drops it, kicks it. (laughs) Like, he's trying to, like, or a touchdown and it flies across the lawn there's candy spinning everywhere and I was like that is so incredibly unnecessary in this moment a, a true it made me laugh so much true handsome flop and <laughs> we then uh, find out a bit more well do we really find out a bit more about Ben's backstory when again a terrible therapist who tries to get rid of Tate as a client, but goes out for coffee with him and then cries on a park bench talking about how he also was a troubled teenager. He is literally weeping before he even starts telling his story <laughs> and gets real emotional watching a random little girl and thinking about Violet and speaking to the guy who he knows is dating or some semblance of dating his teenage daughter about how much he loves his now teenage daughter and how much of a troublemaker he was as a teenager. I mean, ben, I'm a terrible therapist. <laughs> <laughs> He's so handsome crying, though. So peak handsome flop in my book. Hmm. He cries the whole way through this episode I want to say <laughs> which I, I granted like he has a lot to cry about I'll be honest 
Yeah, but all of it is caused by him. He's literally yes. the architect of his every single one of his issues. And Does also, it... not at your job. Yeah. Well, you're, you're not at your job where the whole point is the other person cries. Like, I feel like you could hold it in for just like 20 minutes. And then you go, you go in the bathroom and you cry. That's what you do at a job. Yeah. <laughs> you don't cry. And then you go, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. And then you cry for 10 minutes in the bathroom and then you come out. This is, does he not know this, that this is the law of the land? <laughs> I don't think he does because as we've established, he is really bad at his job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so meanwhile, while Ben is having a, a coffee with Tate, I mean, this is, this is not really an important scene, but I just think it's worth mentioning because of one person so Vivian gets <laughs> no you're gonna mention <laughs> and I, yeah, yeah, I so Vivian gets security installed in her house and she is so mega horny for the security installation dude and no surprise because security dude is played by Morris Chestnut who is really taking the role super seriously and I'm really grateful for it yeah, he's he's like I am handsome security guard. <laughs> yes. And he is. He really embodies that role. But yeah, I just love the fact that Vivian is just so unabashedly absolutely intensely horny for this guy. Gets such a departure for the previous tones of her performance. Yeah, and he just kind of turns out he just turns up out of nowhere. He's like, "Hi, I'm your new security man, and I'm also very hot." So Here we are. <laughs> We also um, see a bit more of Tate and Violet hanging out in the basement in the dark because they're, you know, emo and shit. And we find out a bit more of Charles and Norm Montgomery's backstory. Uh, this was a really interesting scene, uh, not just because of the backstory, but also because of the way it was filmed. What did you think? Mm, so I'm going to save one thing for later. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but I love all the flashbacks of the twenties because it has this like horrific sort of like chamber piece tension between this this married couple that just despise each other and both of them are kind of awful, and and to then insert into that this this terrible tragedy makes it I don't know it just makes their relationship so interesting. <sighs> I wish I could, I wish I could like elevate the drama here, but I am not an actress. So they baby gets kidnapped by the boyfriend of one of the girls who Charles performs an abortion on and gets delivered to them in a literal evidence box cut. It is implied into little pieces. And then Charles goes berserker with the baby bits. And he creates what is described as the thing. Mm. Which I guess what we see, it's like a bit of arm and there's like a bit of bit of hoof. Like, hook, like a little deer. <laughs> I don't even know where he got like a little tiny deer. <laughs> but Charles, yeah. Mon Charles Montgomery, a bougie Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, um, they're kind of horrific, but it's like. So he has parts of the things that he needs, but then and he just, or did he have the hand and he was like, no, let's mix it up. I'm not going to put the hand back on. I'm going to put a hoof. 
because my baby's gonna come back better than ever before. I mean, sorry, like, this is very dark, but like we have, to, I can't. It's like this is the show. Yeah, this is the tone, but also, like, show. I love the fact that it's basically him collaging. We're in isolation, right? A lot of people are getting into a lot of arts and crafts. It's a Pinterest. A lot of people are getting into collaging right now. And I could just Baby have... Pinterest. <laughs> so Charles Montgomery is just like collaging his dead child with other bits of dead animals. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so going to hell. I'm so going to hell for this shit. But this is what the show wants us to do. This is the thing. This is what Ryan Murphy does, is he sets up these incredibly, like, fucked up scenarios. <laughs> but then they're done in such a ridiculous, operatic, over-the-top way that it is just so silly. And Listen. it is silly to see a shot of a man sewing a tiny little deer hoof <laughs> onto a tiny little arm. And his wife being like, no, Charles, what are you done? <laughs> it's like, that is, it's funny and I think it is meant to be funny. Because I don't know how else you look at that scene and just watch it with a straight face, you know. This is why I think that Ryan and I would be great friends. I think we have um, <laughs> a similar sensibility. And um, I look forward to when we hang out in hell for coming up with yeah. this shit. And he comes on this podcast to explain himself. I mean, yeah. But like to excuse ourselves a little bit. I think the the drama of this this part of the of the episode kind of comes from the fact that it's it's really being told by Tate, mm. kind of as a spooky story. The whole kind of you know Doctor Frankenstein, you know mad scientist in the basement, nineteen thirties monster movie from Universal is really played up in the way that this section of the episode is directed. I think is there like a lit? I feel like there's a literal lightning crash, isn't there? at some point yeah i think it might just be like a faulty bulb but it's the same effect yeah. there's some sort of like <laughs> yeah. so then we have uh more trouble in the Harmon house when vivian confronts ben about his ongoing relationship with hayden there's a lot about vivian like going through ben's phone statements and confronting him about this and ben lying literally to her face yeah, and still kind of crying while doing it. <laughs> He's such a mess at this point. I know. I love to see it. <laughs> love to see it. I kind of do because he's... <laughs> you know what's really strange is the fact that I actually dislike Vivian more. But Ben is objectively a much worse person. But I also kind of enjoy seeing him fuck up constantly. And then just try to lie his way out of his troubles and then be caught in his lies and then cry and throw a hissy fit and expect people to forgive him because he's real handsome. Yeah, I get what you mean in the sense that like the things that the mistakes that Ben makes are out of like pure stupidity. Like he's just like a, a dumb baby man. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Vivian, like when Vivian messes up like she's a smart lady she knows what she's doing and so I guess like she bears a little bit more brunt of the responsibility of her mistakes because mm. you know 
she's like she's smart enough to know that they're wrong yeah in a sense but then you look at ben and you're like oh poor baby just like (laughs) what have you done what have you done with your life which yeah i don't know i don't know if there's some sort of like sociological statement in that we're exposing ourselves as bad feminists or i don't know but i think i think it's a handsome flop phenomenon i think it's evolving from a trope to a phenomenon yeah because there is it is just kind of the patheticness of it i mean i think i would never get married to this man in the first place yeah i would not be in this situation at all shall we chat about the dynamic between vivian and chad and patrick because chad and patrick appear and are mistaken by vivian and ben as the fluffers hired by marcy to spruce up the house which the actual fluffers never arrive they do not are they are they also under the gazebo now (laughs) (laughs) did larry get to them before they could ring the bell yeah i like how just intensely angry chad is the entire way through his appearance on this show and i i i kind of understand his rage because (laughs) you know he's just someone who who cares deeply about aesthetics and and like takes such pride in 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 the the sort of craftsmanship that goes into him making this beautiful home and i think for him to see somebody else come in and you know make the wrong decisions in air quotes is the most enraging it's like the most enraging thing to him and so i i kind of yeah he's kind of like being ridiculous the whole way through because he's just smashing pumpkins and like (laughs) being like well if we can't have halloween my way we're not gonna have halloween at all (laughs) right i love the kind of the passive aggressive bitchiness but between him and vivian where he's Mm. like oh i love your hair color you can barely see the roots and she (laughs) pounces right back at him and like "Mm -hmm, yeah it's my natural color thank you and i can just like i'm literally tilting my head which is also great podcast content thank you it's that (laughs) thank you I do really love the the little wink that we get from Chad and Patrick when they Vivian kind of talks to them about doing something for a living. You know, when that line comes up for a living, they sort of exchange glances because we learn from the very beginning of the episode that they're dead. You know, when we got told in the pilot that the previous couple of the house, the previous uh, owners of the house were a couple who died in a murder-suicide so this is them. We know they're ghosts. Mm. And there's something kind of significant about it being Halloween. It's mentioned earlier in the episode by Constance that Halloween is the only night of the year where the dead get to roam and the barrier between the living and the dead is sort of erased. Which is, yeah, that is such a huge part of American Horror Story. I mean, they don't always keep to that logic because, you know, it's American Horror Story. <laughs> but the basic concept, I would say, through every season is that Halloween is the one day that the dead... Yeah, the dead, like, are usually contained in a place. And you and on Halloween, it's like, hey, if I, I want to go to Disneyland, we're going. 
That's what I would do. If I was a ghost in American Horror Story, every Halloween I'd be like, we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> I think the only other scene that we need to discuss is Moira. So Moira, who we also know is a ghost, gets to go and visit her mother who's on her deathbed. Yeah, which is, you know, you could go to Disneyland or you could go visit your mother, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think from what we know about Moira, though, she's not a Disneyland kind of gal. No, she's not. That's the difference between her and I. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this, this seems very... Again, I think this combined with the Addie storyline just makes is why the overall tone of the episode to me is just very tragic and Mm. very yeah just I don't know it just made me sad I know that's like a dumb thing to say but it just made me feel sad no I think it's very earnest you know and those two characters as well are probably true innocents they've done nothing wrong you know even when when we find out more about Moira in the in the previous episode we know the circumstances, the tragic circumstances of her death and that she's forced into this afterlife of servitude. And she just wants to be with her mother and she can't. And she um, euthanizes her mother. She mm-hmm. takes her off the life support system. And it's really sad when her mother sort of ghost appears and she can't go with her. Oh, cause she says like, oh, come with me, baby. Since I want to, but I can't. It's really, like, that's a good, that's good writing there. Yeah, that's really good. good writing. And it's all Ben's fault. Everything is Ben's fault. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love the ending of this episode because it's a brilliant cliffhanger. Ben opens the door and Hayden reappears. Okay, I know we're fast-forwarding this slightly, but I feel like this is not a spoiler because it's the most famous line from the show. But this is a, a surprise bitch, bet you thought you'd seen the last of me moment <laughs> yes, before it's... that actually happened in the show. Like, it is like, the, the exact same vibe, the same look on her face. Yes, it's a prequel to that moment. Like, it because she doesn't say anything, but my head automatically played that line. <laughs> As it does when anyone turns up at a surprise out of the blue <laughs> in anything. I mean, yeah, I say it to myself in the mirror every morning. I think we've covered everything in the episode, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Shall we move on to our, our top moments? Yeah, top quote. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I don't, I'm not sure. Do you have one? Oh, yes. I have a lot. I think Larry's one that I mentioned before is definitely one of my faves, but... If I were to go with one, it's going to be Patrick, who says, I can't believe this is what we've become, hallow queens arguing over pumpkins. Yeah, okay. That was one of my candidates. (laughs) My other one was when Chad goes, pick me up some gala apples. I thought these golden delicious would look dramatic in the bobbing bucket. They just look dull and depressing. Because he has a whole thing about the apples and they like, he just keeps looking at the bobby bucket and he's like, this doesn't look right. I love it. Absolutely love it. Also, I I have another one, which is also a Chad one. It's Chad to Vivian. And the bile of him saying this line to her is amazing. 
where he's like, the first impression that anybody's going to have before they ever experience my meticulously appointed candy scare station is of you going to the front door in that Rite Aid witch outfit. Yes. It's such a burn. I love a burn that's like a full paragraph. I would say that's a deluxe like $60 costume that she's wearing. (laughs) And he's shooting it like it's a $20. So that is, you know, ruthless. We don't really have a naked man moment in this episode, do we? No, the butts were in for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Butts were like in the clothes. Sorry, that's a weird thing to say. (laughs) The butts were were hidden away for Halloween. Halloween, not an appropriate time for butts. We've got bigger things to worry about. And who would you say was your MVP of the episode? I feel like Chad. Oh. Because... I know he gets very stressed out about everything, but the fact that he can just turn up to this house and be like, this is my house now. I'm going (laughs) to fill it with things and there's nothing you can do about it. Seems like such a a power move. He he is obviously distressed the whole way through because he, he hates what Vivian is doing. He hates what Vivian has done with the house. He's just constantly mad at Patrick because they hate each other. But I feel like in terms of just just the power, I feel like he has the power. That's interesting because I was going to say Patrick. Because because Chad is so neurotic, like in your face neurotic and so effusive about how things are not going okay, And it's constantly sort of insulting Patrick. I kind of like Patrick's whole vibe that we get from the very first moment we meet them when they're alive of, you know what? I'm just going to go to the gym and like fuck some 25 year olds. That's what I'm going to do while you do all of this. And that is such a, such a power move. I care so very little about this and you right now that I'm not even going to engage. That's true. I guess I didn't pick Patrick because he just seems kind of sad all the time. They're all sad. And what about your favorite section, the insensitive historical reference of the week? Okay, so to go back to the baby stealing. uh, So this is actually a reference. I I clocked it as I was watching the episode and I was like, let me double check that this is is actually meant to be a reference. But it is meant to nod to uh, the the Lindbergh baby, Uh a famous stolen baby. Uh, who who was snatched out of his crib in 1932. So kind of similar circumstances. The parents are downstairs having dinner. Uh, they heard a noise, ignored it. And then later, I think the maid went up, was like, oh, that's not a baby in the crib. The baby's been stolen. Uh, this The story actually, because I was under the impression that they just never found the Lindbergh baby. But having Googled it, it actually is a very sad story. They, they did find the body eventually because someone did, like they took the ransom and then disappeared. They took the ransom money and then completely disappeared. And then they found the body uh, like a, a few weeks or months later. So mm. I thought it was just like a cool mystery that it was like, where did this baby go? But mm. that's actually quite a sad ending. And therefore, maybe insensitive. Ego <laughs> insensitive in this context with dear baby. The only thing that's aged quite badly that I picked up, which is nowhere near as interesting is because I watch all the credits like a nerd. I noticed that one of the, there was a, a 
an extra or tertiary character that is credited as zombie slut, which I thought was a bit eh. Zombie, sexually free, and independent woman. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> what can we expect from the next episode? Ah, so we're, this is we're getting Halloween part two. So it's a pretty much direct continuation of, well, Hayden being like surprise bitch. Uh, but we do see Tate comes face to face with his past. Ben and Vivian are haunted by one of the house's newest guests. We'll be back next Wednesday dissecting another episode of American Horror Story Murder House. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. I'm at Clarice Lou. And I am on Anna B. Demented. <laughs>